A priest, a rabbi, and a pastor walk into a bar. It's the start of many good jokes. But what if it could be a place where we have actual conversations about spiritual things and God? I'm Rabbi Yvette Ludman, and I'm the spiritual leader at B'nai Chavara, Denver's Jewish Reconstructionist congregation. I'm Father Joseph Waliniak. I'm Associate Rector at Christ Church Denver. Associate Rector is like the assistant to the regional manager, and one day I hope to be the assistant regional manager. My name is Narup Alphonse. I'm a pastor here in Denver, Colorado at LifeGate Church. We're a young, yet multi-ethnic, multi-generational church here in the city. This is a safe place where we come together and speak the elephant out of the room and get to ask the real questions. Thank you for being here, Father Joseph Wolniak, Rabbi Yvette Lutman, Pastor Narup Alphonse. Father, what are you drinking? Forget the name of this thing. <laughs> you gave it to me. I know, right? Sweet something. Uh, it's the Sticky Bun Old Fashioned. Sticky Bun Old Fashioned. Yes, and we are at the Briar Common uh, Brewery and Eatery, and this is their specialty highball for us this morning. So enjoy. Hey, thanks. Uh, Rabbi, what are you drinking? A cup of Joe. I'm having a good old-fashioned Coca-Cola. Wait, I'm the only one drinking? Yeah, it says a lot about We you. didn't tell right. you. Can we edit that part out? <laughs> no, you're in good company. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor, what's your favorite four-letter word? Hope. Love. Father? I won't say the one that came to mind, but I'll say holy. There we go. It's not what I expected. <laughs> I have another one that, my, that I say sometimes, and my daughter has learned it, but we're trying to unlearn that word. So uh, It starts with an F and it ends with an uck. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know if anyone. Again, you're in good company, Father. Okay, Thank good. you, Clay. Yeah, you're yes. in good company. My kids, my 10-year-old has learned how to, how to spell four-letter words. He doesn't say it. He just yeah. spells it. So I'm not sure if it's bad or not. Right. On the one hand, I'm proud that he can spell. Well, right. how's his penmanship? Penmanship's excellent. Okay. This is actually my deepest fear. I don't want to take us off, but I'm, I'm really deeply afraid that one day I'm going to hit the chalice where you put the wine, and I'm going to be like, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> And then it's going to be broadcast to the entire congregation, and they're going to be like, Father just swore? Um, I like them even more. <laughs> Sorry. Straight from the streets, y'all. Yeah. Have any of you had a mishap like that before? Oh, yeah. I used the word that his kid learned at his house pretty loudly over and over, in a verb form, in a noun form, in an adverb form, and I didn't know that there were children waiting in the other room, so... Maybe that was Narup's son that was in the other room, and that's the word he's writing. Is that right? Learned it from. Yeah, that's where he learned it from. I don't think I've ever said it on stage or on the platform before, but in traffic, when my kids are going nuts, and I and I think I'm being like Jesus, and then all of the being like Jesus just is vacating the room, and my wife is just staring at me. I've had those moments before, and then I I pray a lot and and I just laugh. I think that's what it means to be human, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're human, we're human beings. Yeah, I think a lot of those times, those four letter words are actually prayers. Uh, and I'm glad we got the F word out of the way because I think that's just, that's the elephant in the room. So thank you, thank you very much for saying <laughs> sure. that. My brother says that if, you're, if you've never sworn while you're praying, then you haven't really been honest with God. Oh, totally. all the time. That's what the Psalms are, right? 
I mean, I, I think that the Psalms give us permission to ask the difficult questions about God. They give us the space to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, mm. You know, they, they're opportunities for lament, for real anguish. Um, and once you get that out, it's, it's really only after you can arrive at that place of honesty in your prayer life that you can really connect with God. Yeah, the, the scope of being human, and I think often in spirituality we try to take down the complexity of a human being and whittle it down into a sort of manageable person instead of experiencing all of what it means to be human. And sometimes what it means to be human is just to get all the anger, all the emotion, all the pain out of it. And sometimes there's no other words except a, a bunch of four-letter words. And I don't think God in heaven is, has a clipboard and, and, and counting. And like, oh, you, I hope not. You, you, know, you set up, and I, and I think God is so omniscient and so powerful. He sees through the depth of that word into the pain that's behind it. From my experience, when I utter them, it is out of sheer pain or desperation. Like, fuck. And it is, it is this prayer of despair or I don't know what to do and I think we have to be careful we don't superimpose the meaning of words in in 2021 into what they meant 2000 years ago and to also come to this understanding that Jesus's anger was always a righteous and a holy anger it wasn't a selfish anger but it was always cloaked in and robed in the majesty of God and really the cleansing of the temple is this moment of the poor are being exploited. The Gentiles are being left out of the temple. What should have been sold in the Valley of Kidron is now in the, the court of the Gentiles. It's the exploitation of people. And then Jesus, his anger is, is not necessarily their selling, but what they've turned the temple into. This should be a house of prayer, a house of the presence of God. God's manifest presence in the world is now a place of commerce. And you've turned this into a den of thieves. So I think it's a passionate scene. I certainly don't read that as a violent scene. Historically, I think it could not have been a violent scene. The Romans would have put an end to it if there was violence being ensued in, in the temple. But it's certainly a human scene of the anger of Jesus, a righteous, unholy anger, to use your, your word of holy. We started out with a question of, do we ever use the F word? Do you ever use that with reference to God? Like, what the F? What's that for? What's that supposed to do? Even though I don't, from a Jewish Reconstructionist perspective, we don't believe in a supernatural God that is going to control things based on my prayer or not. Sometimes when working with someone who's dying or it's a particularly awful situation, I start out at a very young age with the prayer, and so at a very young age you do believe that that is the case, and I can say, what the, what is that for? Why is that happening? Why was that necessary? Really, what am I supposed to learn with it? And now what am I supposed to do with it? Mm -hmm. But the initial place is disbelief and anger of, of, of such a magnitude yeah. that I'm not coming up with nice, holy, influential words. I'm coming up with the basest from the most emotional place. And, and maybe that's what you meant when you said, Sometimes that is the prayer. And then I use it out of context all the time, too. <laughs> Never.
I've been married to my wife Hannah for 14 years and we have three boys. We enjoy life and we love what the Lord is doing in our lives. I've been married to my wife Sherry for 13 years. We live with my mom Jerry, who's 93, bless her heart, and two rescue puppies. Christ Church is a community of faith that's just about a mile and a half south of DU, and we'd love to have anybody come and join us for that. I've uh, been married to my wife Liz, who's also a priest and pastor for 14 years, and we have two kids under the age of five. So if I look tired, it's because I am really tired. I'm really, really tired. Okay, we're coming out of the COVID fog. I mean, we've survived it as spiritual leaders. You have faith communities. So, you know, just maybe if you could tell us a little bit from your own experience through this pandemic, how your faith community has kind of fared through what it's been 12 months, a year, 14. We have a, our, our church is so young, predominantly a young church. And so the answers around, around COVID, the fears that came about, the anxieties that came about, I was honestly a little bit surprised at how young some people were, but went instantly into fear and lockdown and scared. I, I did not realize the amount of political ideologies in our church and in our city that were attached to this particular thing. I didn't realize how many people would take decisions that we're making and somehow assuming that we believe that Governor Polis is, is our boss and we work for the government. And so all these ideologies came in and so I was very surprised at the spectrum of the way that people responded to it. And I think what we, what we really saw was that, wow, human beings are very different and they have very different backgrounds. And so we grieved a lot as a church because people left our community over decisions that they believed that we made that were not in their best interest or we had some people that literally didn't believe COVID was a real thing and they left over decisions. And so there was grief in that of people you've loved well and, and they've gone. And then there was also a lot of beauty of seeing people love each other and care for each other and show up and be present even when they're afraid, I'm gonna be present with you. Because people in COVID still had divorces and they still had miscarriages and they still had job losses. The human story was continuing and it's continuing now in isolation. And so I was incredibly proud of our young church for being present in the lives of people and being there and loving and praying and showing up and bringing food and bringing coffee mm. and let me take care of your kids. And so I, we're coming out of it, but I don't know if we'll really know for several years what really we've gone through and sort of dissect it over a long period of time. But God's faithfulness to me is, has been so prevalent of experiencing God's faithfulness in my own life and in our church community. But man, people had some opinions. Did you experience that too, Father? How, how is your faith community? Absolutely. I mean, the, how this entire thing was refracted through political ideologies was especially difficult to, to navigate, as I'm sure it was for y'all. I mean, I'll never forget that second Sunday of Lent when everything was completely shut down on March 15th for us. And that was, that was just weird. You know, we're, we're so used to the bedrock of our community is gathering on Sundays and in worship and fellowship. And, and that was all of a sudden gone. And so we we had to adapt, you know, immediately to figure out new ways of connecting, um, new ways of being community together. And some of my favorite, favorite stories are when members of our community, you know, went to buy yeast for their neighbor or dog food for another member of the congregation, just to visit, show up, drop off groceries on somebody's doorstep. When we were all 
you know, hoarding toilet paper. I never thought I'd preach a sermon where I was like, do not store up where moth and rust destroy, and I mean toilet paper. But people, you know, actually shared rolls of toilet paper with each other and with their neighbors outside of the church, which was really important to me as well. Can I also mention how much I hate Zoom? Um, oh, man. <laughs> I, so, I so appreciate Zoom and the people that... The... Zoom and preaching to a camera. You're <laughs> muted. <laughs> You're muted, yeah. Rabbi. No, would you please You're put muted. yourself on mute? Uh, please. But the good thing please. for you is if you did the digital sermons when you knocked over the chalice and you said your daughter's favorite word, you could go back and edit that out. <laughs> Not God, if you you're live, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi, how about you? How has your community fared through this? So we, we lucked out in that most people had jobs already that could be done from home and still keep their job. So we didn't experience a loss like that, but there was an, there's a hidden blessing. So one, it's hard not to be, you know, it's about community. It's about, you know, frankly, I think the most important thing when we have Shabbat services, Sabbath services, is not so much the service that takes place, but the eating together and commuting together and how are you and where's your kid going to college. And we've tried to do that after the service with just zooming, but it's not the same thing. And Judaism's about food too, so it's really hard to share food over Zoom. Um, but here's the hidden gem, and I don't know, maybe you guys found this, but for the people who are less able to get around, less mobile, they're able to participate in services. They're able to be there, whereas before they were excluded. You know, sometimes we gave lip service to it. Maybe if, if a kid had a bar mitzvah, we would put a camera in the back of the room and for the purpose of relatives that are far away, being able to see the, see the bar mitzvah. Um, but this has allowed people to come in who haven't been there before or haven't been able to participate. And so it's given us a really nice view as to what kind of inclusivity we can have. So I don't know about you guys, but we're already planning on doing hybrid broadcasting so that we can have people in, in person and then also not lose the people that we gained already. Yeah. yeah. You guys are planning that too? Yeah, we've been broadcast since, since it all started. And so there's a, there's a unique opportunity because we live in this country to be able to broadcast and reach people in their homes. And, and I think that the benefit is all, if you can be present, then be present. But if you can't, because people have different stories, we have no idea what's going on in their lives or they have to go see grandma this weekend, we have no idea. So we say, no guilt, a lot of grace. If you can be present and you don't wanna be in pajamas and get out of your comfort zone, then be here. But if you're in, if you're in a season where you're, there's a, it's difficult for you to get out and leave, and we've had many folks who, who couldn't, then stay and, and engage and be with us. So we're, we're grateful for technology to be able to do that. But I think you're right, there's something different about the, the presence of the breaking the bread and enjoying the feast and, and the colors that are happening around and then you want to invite people into that. So uh, I'm grateful for the technology, but I think I'm with you in saying, yeah. hey, if you can be here, be here. Oh, you can't harmonize. <laughs> you can't, you cannot harmonize. If you're chanting a prayer, then everybody can't pray together. You mute your own prayer so that everybody else yeah. can hear the musician or whatever, and it, uh, it like sucks the oxygen out of you. And one thing I thought about in the pandemic, I'd be curious about where, where y'all come in on this, is that one, one good thing about being rooted in a religious tradition is you have a long historical memory. This is not the first time there's been a pandemic uh, that's hit people of faith. And 
The church has had to adapt. Or I've thought about Judaism. I mean, how many times has Judaism had to adapt under various different occupations and uh, you know, destruction of the Second Temple and the whole rabbinical tradition and synagogues now um, it is itself an adaptation. So when you have that historical memory, you can, you can look back to examples of the past where your people have been afflicted, um, they've gone through difficult things, and have learned how to sort of reinvent themselves and, and ask what, what's at the core. Yeah. You're absolutely right, but I do think, and I don't want to go off tangent, but I think that's actually a weakness in discipleship in the American West, yeah. is we're, we're discipling people today as if they're not connected to a greater story. And so people ask questions to me all the time, and I, and I try to tell them, these questions have been asked for 2,000 years. You're not new to the question. And so you have an entire generation of Christians deconstructing the Christian faith with questions that have been asked and answered for 2,000 years. And yet there's somehow, I'm so innovative, I'm coming up with questions that have never been asked. Well, why could God allow evil? We've been asking that question for a long time. Why could God allow a pandemic? Well, have you read the Old Testament? And so we're discipling people disconnected from the totality of the story of God and then from the story of humanity. And so I just find there's many young Christians. And so we are trying hard as we are discipling young Christians in our congregation to not just learn the story of God in the Bible, but how has this played out through centuries? That these ancient hymns that we're singing, what I, what I love about Judaism is that they're songs. These are songs that have been sung. These songs of ascents have been sung for generations and they're learning the songs of God and there's the soundtrack of their life. And you'll be a lot of young Christians who don't know anything about the history of the church and the movements throughout time. And so how do you help them realize this has happened before? and we've survived this, when they have no concept of Christian history at all. Is it not okay to challenge the standard answers? You should challenge, Yvette, I will take any one, challenge you have whenever you want. One of the things that we say in Judaism is that it's, Torah is always being revealed, mm -hmm. that the Bible is always being revealed, that, um, and that Asking questions is even sometimes a better thing than getting a stock answer because yeah. that shows I'm really interested. If I want to know how could Jesus allow whatever, yes. then that shows that I'm invested enough to say, wait a minute, this doesn't seem consistent. Yeah, I think you're right. But to investigate those answers as if they're not new, but to say these have been asked over and over and over again, how do I enter into the conversation as if, or uh, otherwise I'm thinking I'm inventing the conversation. And I think those are two different things. Got it. Let me ask you a question then, personally, then personally. what questions have you been asking God through the pandemic? Or what's been your biggest question that you've wrestled with and asked? For me, it would be my mother is dying She's older, she doesn't understand. It's not my, not my mother, thank you, to to to. Um, but in a situation where a congregant's parent is dying and they've had to uh, stand outside the window. If, if the patient is um, not really not able to understand or for a while hasn't known who their daughter or son is, to stand outside the window is not helpful. Touch, smell, um, the feel of the person's arms around you so when my congregant, I was so emotional, when my congregants have said, I can't be with my parent. I can't be with yeah. my parent. That's when you ask, what the hell? 
that's, yeah, that's when the four-letter words come out. That's, yeah, that's hard. It's been excruciating for me, too. You know, just uh, we just can't be with people, which is what, we're cre what I feel yeah. like I'm created to do, yeah. <laughs> to be with people in those, those times. Um, I'd say for me, another thing is we named our son after Father Damien of Malachi, who was a Belgian priest who went to Hawaii and um, basically set up shop and helped people that were um, struggling with Hansen's disease at a time when they were kicked out of their uh, community and sent to island of Malachi. And he moved there, he lived there, he served them, ended up contracting Hansen's disease and died. Um, and then a pandemic hit. Um, <laughs> and uh, all that, that stuff about, we, we named our son because we wanted to inculcate that, that virtue in him, that Luke 10, 9, go and heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. How do we actually do that now with exercising prudential wisdom, you know, trying to think through, uh, I, I want to help the vulnerable and the poor and the suffering. Um, but how do I do that in a way that actually doesn't put other people or myself at, at undue risk? And, and just trying to figure that out as a faith leader and then trying to um, help our people in our congregation figure out how to do that, that's been difficult to navigate. I really admire the, the way that both of you are so present in your congregation. And I think there's a plethora of young pastors who should sit with you and learn mm. how to do that better. I'm just the way that you talk about your congregants, mm -hmm. I can tell you love them deeply. I do. And same, we had conversations earlier, tell them love deeply. I think, I think for me, it's hard to disconnect 20, and look at 2020 as if it was just COVID. And it was this just trifecta of, you have a pandemic, you have an economic crisis, you have racial division and tension, you have a, a political season, at least in my lifetime, never experienced anything like this. And so all of this together, I'm really asking God a question of, you know, God, how much lower would, would people need to go before they realize that what's really important in this life is to be present with others, to experience the, the presence of God, whether it's in the gathering of God's people, but it's in homes. And what I find is people are more enamored. And not, I'm not talking about our church, I'm just talking about culturally. We are more enamored with when the football stadium is going to open, when is college going to start, when is this going to happen? And it's all about going back and we're so ready to be entertained again. And I'm asking God, well, how much lower do we need to go before we realize what a human being needs is connection with other human beings, deep touch, feel, smell. How do you get back to this? And I'm thinking, Lord, God, what, what else could happen where we would be desperate to be around each other? No pretense, no preference, just to be around each other. And I love that in our congregation, it sounds like in yours, it's happening as well. The, we want to be back together. And then I look at, at the culture around that is not a spiritual culture, that's not a faith culture. And there seems to be just a clamoring to be entertained all over again. And that, that grieves my heart deeply to see people who are neglecting the fullness of life that God offers to have marginal, meaningless entertainment. So I'm reassessing all these. I'm reassessing who am I becoming? Why am I the way that I am? And how is God reshaping me to become who he wants me to be? On that note, always remember, tip your bartender well, speak the elephant out of the room, and come back and meet us for another Holy Highball. Cheers. Cheers. Ourcommunitynow.com is a proud sponsor of Holy Highball. 
When you want news and stories that make you feel good, or you just want to know what's going on in your neighborhood, visit OurCommunityNow.com for the latest.